welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Today we connect with Ron Wolforth, who is one of the forefathers of modern day pitching and training. In this episode, we connect on the boot camp that he started in 2003 at the Texas Baseball Ranch. Uh, he and I dive into after action reviews and why it's important to make any sort of changes. After that, we talk about his recommended ramp ups and what's going on right now with the coronavirus. Uh, we also talk about tools uh, to stay active pitching cycles, and then a deep dive into everything pitching. Uh, we talk about grips uh, and everything else to, to stay active, and then hopefully allow pitchers to be ready when uh, they get the full go again. Thanks again for listening, and enjoy the podcast. All right, we're here with Ron Wolferth, uh, Baseball Ranch, and even though you and I uh, really haven't talked a whole lot, Ron, I do feel like I know you just because of the baseball community as a whole, and I've been following you for a long time, and I want to start with actually a question from uh, a longtime friend of mine, Pat Pinkman, uh, and I texted him this morning, I'm like, would you like to ask Ron something, because I'm talking to him today, and he actually came back with a great question, and this is what Pat uh, Pinkman, for anybody that doesn't know him, he's the pitching coach at Seton Hall, and his dad's been in the game for a long time, but um, he sent me back. Uh, I consider Ron to be one on the forefront of tech and research, uh, given the explosion of tech and info at our disposal now. What has been a big thing or the biggest thing that you have changed uh, your mind on over the last five to 10 years, uh, big or small, and then what impact uh, has that had on your instruction? Oh, that is a great question. And Pat, Pat's really good at asking them too. Yes, he is. He, it, uh, I'm, uh, uh, he's asked me many, almost almost probably every other ABCA. Um, he, he will come by and ask me a question. Um, he's uh, very inquisitive and, and, uh, and the Pinkman family is really um, kind of pitching royalty. Um, uh, so here's, here's my answer. Um, it, it's, it's multitudinous. Um, <clears throat> tech, um, has been exceptionally helpful in this, in a couple ways, but one of the first ways is that because we get such great objective feedback on stuff, if we say, let me give you an example, uh, right. If, if we say, you know what, you really need to get if you would just get in your glute more, if you would do more of this, if you would put your glove side this way, um, then you're going to do X. You're going to have better spin rate. You're going to have better, uh, ver you know, whatever the case may be. It's always, we, we always say, if you do X, then you're going to get Y. What this tech has allowed us to do is actually track that and see if we are right or not. And a lot of times we're not. And, and I'm not trying to say that we're always wrong because uh, – but we're – here's the best way I can say it. I'm, there's always some mystery left over, and I, it's allowed me to be less certain in a very good way because it keeps me 
curious. It keeps me wondering, well, if that is that the answer, because before we'd go, you know what, if you want to throw harder, you need to do X. Right. And for some guys that that little formula didn't didn't actually play out that way. And so what tech allows us to do, it gives us a real check to see if what we're our theories are correct. And it's, it's been awesome. So let me give you an example of that. Right when uh, tech came out, uh, this is probably uh, tech started to become more, we become more fluent in it. Remember when, when, when spin rate first came out and we're saying, you know what, if you have a higher spin rate, you throw high, up in the zone, if you have low spin rate, right? And then you find out through tech that that wasn't exactly right. It was right in some regards, but not right in others. So you had to like ask a better question, like dig a little further into the onion, another layer in the onion. And that's the best thing about tech is that it gives you feedback um, on your theories. The second thing I think that tech has really helped me is it helped me personalize at the ranch, as you as you well know, we really believe in the hyper-personalization of training because every individual is unique. Tech allows us to really kind of look into the DNA of a guy much better. Um, so, for example, I have two major leaguers that I work with actually uh, today individually. One is Colin Poche, who pitches in the Ray organization, and uh, we're at, at the big league level. And then there's Robert Duggar who pitches in the Marlin organization and they are completely two different type of pitchers. Uh, Colin Poche is a reliever. Uh, he has, has a lot of hop on his fastball. He's going to throw mostly up in the zone and he is really a two pitch guy fastball and a slider. Uh, and so we're trying to make sure those two are married in one another that, that, and then Robert Duggar is exactly the opposite. He's more, a horizontal uh, guy, and uh, his what we're trying to work on that his curveball and his slider um, are they match up better instead of just getting kind of that slurve sort of thing. There is a real distinction between the two, and so tech has really helped us to hyper personalize. Um, Ron, do you feel like there's more trial and error now with it or less trial and error now with, with all the tech that's out there? Hmm. Interesting question. <laughs> that just popped in my head because I, I don't know. Are we at, getting more questions because of it or less questions? So, you know, yeah. is, there, is there more or less trial and error now? Well, I think, I think uh, here's my answer to you now, now that I have a chance to kind of there, – there are some things that we, uh, that we didn't know and tech is – kind of answered it. And so therefore there's less, there's less. And then, and then, but it's opened up some other doors where there's more. So I would say that, uh, it's, it's really been a good thing because it's really answered some of the questions that we were kind of debating It's kind of put a couple of those to bed. Yep. And so therefore there's less, uh, and, but it's also just like good technology always will do in all areas of our life it will open up another door to another uh, mindset. Like now we have spin efficiency and true spin and, you know, vertical and horizontal break and all that. And, and now you get even more, uh, and to, to me, that's, that's when we really do do a little bit more trial and error. So it has been both of those. I, I don't mean to be, <laughs> try to be 
uh, a fancy with the answer, but I really think that's probably thinking back now. Besides the ABCA convention with your boot camp, I, you know, I think you were probably one of the first guys that actually was starting to do some of the individual clinic stuff. And how much has that grown over the years for you with with the initial part of the boot camp and now where it's at now? You know, how much has that changed over the years for you? You wouldn't even recognize that I was laughing with C- Coach Flint Wallace, who is our director of player development. Um, Brent Strom and I uh, did the first boot camp in 2003, and, and I'll promise you, right that, that you would not recognize the boot camp. We call yep. it the same thing, the Elite Pitch Boot Camp. We don't, it, it's not even recognizable, the difference in it. Um, and what we do, I, I know this is not going to surprise you, but it may surprise some of that are listening. A- after each and every camp, and I would highly recommend to do this uh, if you're a coach, um, or if you're an academy owner or whatever, when you have, um, and whenever you do, you should have an, um, an after action review. Yep. So you sit down with all your people and go, okay, when it's still fresh. And so, so we try to make it fun. I mean, you just, you have three days as a boot camp. you're tired. Everybody wants to go home, but every, we say goodbye to all the guests. We wave and everybody thinks we're done. I, now it's time for us to go back to work. We pull everybody in. I buy dinner for everybody. We get it so that, so at least they look forward to the to the event. And I sit down. And I say, okay, now let's have our action, after action review. And now let's talk about what went well, what didn't go well, what do we what do we learn, um, what was reinforced, what needs to be changed, and if we're going to make this one percent better next time, what do we need to do? And I've been doing that for 336 camps or something like that. So that's why it has just so evolved to, to where it is now. But it, it's, it's been incredible. And that's how our post-convention meetings are. You know, everybody thinks, oh, you get to take a break after the convention. That's not the case. You know, we have, you know, week-long meetings and everybody goes through because, you know, even though we're all working together, we all have our separate responsibilities. So everybody goes through the same thing uh, post-convention in our office. Like, okay, here's what really worked. Um, and the good thing for me is the people in the office have been doing it for a long time. So I'm just kind of riding coattails on a lot of that, but you know, every, each person with their responsibility goes through, you know, things that, that worked really well. And, and I love the after action response and that's a, a Navy SEAL term that they use for every, every mission that they have, they have that. And, um, that's a way to, to grow and learn because not everything's going to go well. And, and I think you have to fully expect that, that some things are going to go great and then some things aren't, but you know, you learn from it and, and you go on from there, you know, and, and just following you now. And I think, you know, you, you bigger pitching guys with the state of the coronavirus, you guys have a huge responsibility uh, in helping everyone and what's out there and, and just watching and studying all the things that you're talking about right now. You know, that's the first thing you sent me, you know, if you, if you don't use it, uh, you're going to lose it. So can, can we dive into that part of it now? You know, if you don't sure. lo- use it, lo- you're going to lose it. Can we get into that part of it? Sure, absolutely. But as we go in, this will lead us in. But I think as what I what I would say, almost everybody listening to this is either a coach, assistant coach, or or a head coach of some some part. And so, in my mind, you're a leader. And I would say that the first the first rep, um, responsibility of you as a leader is, um, and and I truly, honestly believe this. I mean, obviously, reading Stephen Covey and Simon Sinek and and all all, I'm a big leadership guy. I, I read all the time about it. Um, that that after action review. 
uh, you just mentioned some things are not going to go well. And I'm going to say to you that what a great leader will do um, or, or attempt to do is that sometimes when those things don't go well, not only can they be um, a great learning experience and we can grow from that, it may open, if you look at it the right way, it may lead you into an evolution or a new innovation that would have never happened without it. So instead of going, oh, you know what, it just didn't go well, and 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 you you play the blame game and you go, you've got to get your game right or whatever, you, you need to dig into this. And so when this coronavirus comes up, the first thing I'm telling all my minor league and major league guys that are our clients and our college guys as well, but primarily as professional clients, I would say, look at this as a blessing, not a curse. The first thing is the way you've got to look at it is this is your opportunity now to do a couple things. You can go back. If you really need to work on your mechanical efficiency on something, it's a perfect time to. If you really need to improve your command um, with a, uh, a specific pitch, it's a perfect time to. If you really need to improve the spin efficiency or you want to really improve your recovery or you really need to improve your ability to field your position or or do a pickoff move, it's the perfect time for that. Instead of sitting there and going, ah, oh, man, this is this sucks. And so I it it's. It starts with, Ryan, it starts with mindset. Yep. You, you, you've you got to look at it differently. And that's what I think leaders, we should do as leaders. And leaders help guide their people through these times. And so um, that's what I want to start with. And so when I say, if you don't use it, you lose it, um, it starts with, making sure you know what you're going to do, what you know who you are. I just had that conversation with Colin Poche and Robert Duggar over the last 48 hours. Who are you and what exactly do you need to get better at over the next two or three weeks? What are we going to do? And it starts with that. Well, don't you feel like you're always going to learn more from when things aren't going well than when they are going well? Because you're just going to kind of ride it out if things are going really well. You know, you're going to you're going to probably learn a lot more from when they're not going great than when they're going great. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And so when when here's the you know, the old saying nothing uh, fails like success. And what, <laughs> what that you know, what that means is that when when things are going well, we get complacent yes. and we get, you know, we, we, we just, we get kind of fat and sassy and happy and we think we've got it right. And, and when you fail, it requires you to really look inward. And, um, so instead of really uh, matter of fact, here's a side note. I was just working with Garrett today, my son, Garrett, 22 year old switch hitting catcher. We were out hitting and we were doing some stuff just on one leg, right? Hitting on one leg. Yep. We hit on right leg, then we hit on left leg. And it looked ugly, right? It looked ugly. And I had this conversation with him. I said, you're never, you're never going to hit in a game on one leg intentionally. Don't worry about what it looks like. See if there's some things you can gain from it. And so we blended one leg, then to the other leg, then to both legs. And by the end of the – and then we put it all on track, man, and all the, you know, all data and all measured and everything – but at the end, um, it was really, really helpful. And it, it was the struggle. It was the challenge. It was the problem that created the growth, 
and we could have just thrown some lollipop stuff in and he could have smacked it around and filled field really feel, felt really well when he was done. I'm not sure that would have helped us much. Yep. You know, and, and do you feel like that, you know, on the hitting side, I think that's where the, the pitching side, and you talked about that with the, the pitching side of, you know, there's been so much tinkering with pitching development um, that you look at the, the hitting side where guys, it's a little bit more argumentative yeah, and and yeah. maybe not coming to a consensus of what's going to, what, what's going to work. And, Seems like the, right now, especially there's maybe a little bit more ego on the hitting side, and there's a lot less ego on the pitching side. Yeah, um, you know, I, I I've seen that. Um, obviously, I kind of stealthily study <laughs> the hitters <laughs> uh, because because I, I do work with one hitter. I I I would really surprise most people um, on my hitting. Uh, expertise i just don't talk about it much because i that's not my gig but um i'm working with one hitter and that's my son so i i i studied a lot and i've i've noticed that i noticed a lot a lot more vitriolic and um and um i don't know if it's just the nature ryan that that uh, pitchers succeed uh it's a it's a closed skill so that um you're in control of you're in control yep. um, and you're executing. And also it's a success skill, meaning that you're going to succeed uh, a more, a higher percent of the time and hitters. It is a open skill. There's so many variables to it. And then also you're going to fail more than you succeed uh, from just pure, the data from the numbers. I don't know if that has something to do with it or not, but um, I do know that. Um, and uh, it, it is, it is odd, and I, I don't know if it's it, – it just always seemed to me that that's been the case. Yes. I've kind of studied that for 20 years. It's always been the case that hitting guys will get after each other. Um, it's not like the pitching guys never do it, but it's it's way less often. Yep. And and right now, you, you made a good point. You know, th- this – especially on the pro side and the college side and even high school, this would be a heavier time for guys. So I know, I know you're recommending trying to keep that volume going. Um, you know, DJ said it on the, the live cast the other night. The hard part is that nobody really knows when the start date's going to be. So it, it's been hard on their side because you don't really know. It's not like you can map it out. Like this is exactly when we're going to start. Nobody knows. So, you know, what are some of your recommendations for the guys that are just hanging out there right now? Yeah, DJ and I had a had a conversation. Probably it was supposed to be fifteen minutes, turned into two hours. That's how it always is with him. It is. It is. You know, it's like uh, that. That happens with me with uh, Derek Johnson, Wes Johnson, and uh, Jerry Weinstein. Those those three guys. I want to make sure if I ever call them, I have I don't have anything else on the docket. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a long. It's going to be. It's, we'll get into. It. We'll get. We'll get real deep in the rabbit hole. My my. Um, uh, Derek is exactly right in the fact that you don't, if you don't have a date, you, you can't, um, taper for it. You can't prepare specifically for that date. And so it kind of changes things around and, and it requires a little bit of a different mindset. Um, so what we try to do, uh, what we, we really recommend is, um, we do know that when that we get the all clear, we're going to have to be on a cycle. Uh, we'll return to a cycle, pitching every fifth day, or if you're a reliever, you have your own cycle. 
I we suggest that uh, as soon as we can, we get in our own cycle, and it's a seven day cycle. And of those seven days, we have two heavier days, and we have two light days, and we have three medium days. And um, and I've had multiple people, you know, uh, disagree with me on this. Um, and I and I understand the different points. The reason I like that set. Seven two two three ser- uh, series is because what it does allows us to do this for the human beings, and there are those, um, and I'm sure you've coached a number of them, so you know exactly. If I'm describing it, you'll go, "Yep, I had one or two of those." And they're um, obsessive compulsive guys. They they tend to overdo it. Yep. Uh, they tend to do too much, and uh, that can be a problem. And then on the other hand, we have the other end of the continuum a guy is just what i would call the minimum daily requirement guy um the guy will just do what is uh minimum required and both of those are problematic and the one that is going too heavy uh doesn't fully recover and they start this cycle of downward the one that is too light um never never has enough stress of any type to create an adaptation so they're just kind of they're in a real, real low uh, intensity, low, low, just kind of spinning their wheels and they act like they're kind of doing something, but uh, they're not. We have got, that's the reason the cycles I would recommend because for both of those, it, it, it solves the problem. You have two heavy days and it could be either in volume or intensity. And the only, the only caveat, Ryan, is that you need at least 48 hours between the two pushes. Um, um, you can't push back to back days. You need yep. at least 48 hours between pushes, but we find that cycle to be very helpful for guys. Well, and the underwork guys too, those are the guys that because they're not stressed enough, then they really try to go get after it. And their general soreness is going to take much longer to, to get out of there because they haven't been worked up enough. And also the injury component of that, you know, both, both of those guys, the overworked guys, and then the underworked guys, there, that's where you're running into those injury issues with, with both of them. One from either overuse or underuse, and then they're trying to, to really ramp it up. And then that, that soreness really takes them a while to get out of there. Yeah. And yes, yes. And so a lot of people go, okay, so what should your heavy day, light day, medium day look like? And so I say, okay, so what, let's go back to, go back to once again, you, you've heard me talk about this before. It's, it's what is your constraint, right? What is your primary constraints? Is it command? Well, then you need to spend uh, at least three or four days of the seven with a very specific command uh, uh, focus. If, it, if it's velo, then you've got velo is the kind of strange one I'll, I'll talk about right now is that you can only uh, work on velo a couple times in your cycle. You, you you can't work on velo every single day. It's just like trying to to max out your bench press every day. Pretty yep. soon, that's not going to work. So you got to cycle that in. But you can cycle it in, and then um, and then you might have guys that need to work on their spin or whatever, and you can do that four or five. So you kind of build your program under that and cycle that in. And, and most guys are not clearly. I don't have just one constraint. I've got two or three. And then what we do is we try to differentiate between those and prioritize. We, we, we say assess, categorize, uh, and prioritize. And, um, and so that's 
Um, that's what we try to do. And it's been, it's been really helpful. The, the other b- benefit of this, Ryan, is if I'm working with you and we do that and I help you build a plan that's designed for you, what's the chance of you really buying into the plan? It's much higher than if I go here, I've got this perfect system. You need to just follow it. Um, because when we customize, when we personalize it, it, it means something to you. You, you think it's, and you know it's built for you, so the chances of you um, buying in are much higher. And then what we do at the ranch also is we have constantly check with me's. And what I do is I say, okay, at the end of almost every other day, I'll say, does your program need to be tweaked or changed or modified in any direction? And if so, tell me about it. And so we're all always adjusting, always modifying slightly those changes. And it's much better than a one-size-fits-all program. Do you feel like that's maybe one of the biggest things that's changed for you over the last 20 years is, you know, in the beginning, it, it's maybe a one size fits all. And now it's, it's way more individual. Oh, it, you nailed it. It is the single most important decision we've ever made is to move away from a one size fits all towards hyper personalization. And I think a lot of people will be afraid of that hyper personalization because it looks scary. But once you start to learn how to do that, it is not at all, and the benefits are extraordinary. I, I've said I think that's why this is the best time for baseball coaching. Uh, you know, it, it's grown so much. You know, from the '70s to where it is now, where you just see it, it is it's so much more individualized. And I, I feel like we have so many great baseball coaches out there now because they they have adapted with that. They've adapted with the athletes that, okay, this is what they need to, to help them, uh, one, get better, but also take ownership of it. And I think guys like yourself have done a, a, such a good job with that, allowing the athletes now to take ownership and realizing that it is their career. And you kind of put the ball in their court that, okay, here's, here's a little bit of a template, but again, we're going to try to figure out what's best for you as the individual. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that compliment. Yep. We, we've, we've worked really hard at it and we continue to work hard on it. I would say, every coach that's listening that when you start down this path, it seems like it's more way more complex because it, it, it seems like the easiest thing to do is to get a one size fits all process, give it to people. And, and, uh, if it's a really good process, it'll help most. And then if they don't, well, it's just the way, way it goes. The reason that, that hyper personalized hyper personalization is such an amazing and ideal much better way of going is this. If And I use the analogy, you may have heard me use it before, but I'm going to use it again, is penicillin at, at, the, at the start of World War II, I think now we have COVID-19. If, if you really start to research the World War I, most of our American boys were killed, or almost half of them were not killed uh, from uh, German bullets, but were killed from the Spanish flu. And uh, and we had no antibiotics. We had nothing there to help them. It just, it was just, it was, it was horrible, right? 1918, the Spanish flu killed, I think, 675 million Americans, I mean, thousand Americans, 675,000 Americans. Now, now, uh, with the, in uh, World War II, penicillin came out and saved millions of lives, GI lives. Um, but there's a certain percentage of population that are allergic to penicillin. Yes. And so what we say to, to people is, is penicillin a good thing? And the answer is, it just depends, right? So if you, are, if you have an infection 
and it's life-threatening, and you are not allergic to penicillin, penicillin could save your life and has saved millions and millions and millions of lives. If, on the other hand, you have no infection, giving you penicillin will neither be good nor bad. It will just be a waste of resource. And if you're allergic to penicillin, and about I think about 3% of the population is very allergic to penicillin, I think about 0.7% are deathly allergic, if you give that to them, it will kill them. So the answer is penicillin a good thing? And the answer is it just depends, right? And then it is, it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a uh, trying to get out of anything or trying to be politically correct. It's just the truth. Now, the same thing with our pitching or our hitting. Um, uh, I've talked with Greg Brown, who is a very dear friend of mine, and now at the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, the hitting instructor you've had him on the show on the on the show he is a brilliant guy and i've had this conversation with him multiple times and he gets this if we have hitting drill or this pitching drill that really is remarkable it's really really helpful that does not mean that it's going to be helpful for every single person and so we have to be cognizant of that and when we see it's not perfect or it may be corrupted or it may be taking someone backwards we pull back off that we have to have enough flexibility to be able to pull back off that and then have in our toolbox something else that we can maybe go and give them. That's the reason there's so many different antibiotics. If one's not working, a doctor may prescribe another one. And so it's that's. I hope that makes sense to the people that are listening. Yep, and we have so many good young instructors out there, and then we have a great group of, of older veterans, and I think about the guys like you that have that experience, and I think that's where the player development side comes into play is you, you've you had a lot of trial and error with guys. You know that, that things that you've done with guys have worked with some guys but haven't worked with others, and it's okay to, to say that, hey, this may not be working for this guy, so let's try something different. No doubt. And I think Wes Johnson said it best. I, I can't remember. I think it was Wes Johnson or, or Derek Johnson. I talked to them so often. I can't remember which one is which. I don't want to take. A, but but one of them said, if you haven't taken a kid backwards, if then you haven't either coached or you're not aware of what you're doing. We've all done it. Yes. Right. And so so the key is, is to recognize it early. And then go to something else, right? And so that's what the—that's the wisdom. That's the—that's uh, the art of this thing. There's the science, and back to to um, Pat's question about technology. That's the science. The art of this is knowing when and how. It's the art is the dosage and frequency. Yep. It's it's knowing what to do, and um and for my young coaches that are listening today, um. You're going to mess up, and it's okay. It's okay. Just be aware of it, and then try to make, try to build yourself as big a toolbox as you can, and um, really do lean upon those veterans like a Brent Strom, like a Wes Johnson, like a Derek Johnson, um, and so on, and Jerry Weinstein. These are these are guys that have a lot of wisdom and have seen a lot of things go under a bridge. And uh, that's really helpful. So I would really recommend them. Um, and I think our young coaches are, they're so much better than I was at that age. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, I have a lot of faith in our young coaches. I, I, I am really pleased with the future of the game. Um, but I just want to tell them, don't be afraid to fail. There is no perfect system or perfect uh, technique or perfect 
uh, drill or anything like that. So don't, don't be afraid of that. And this time we're all going through this at the same time. Nobody's had to go through any of this. So for anybody that's listening in and for guys like you, taking notes on what guys are doing right now because we're eventually going to start playing baseball again. And so now we're going to be able to track when, when teams start playing again, you know, there's going to be some injuries involved with it, you know, just because guys haven't been able to stay on their normal routine. Hopefully everybody stays healthy. And and that would be a great thing that once we get going, everybody stays healthy, but guys don't stay healthy when they're in their normal routine. So like, that's the intriguing thing for me is to, to really track when we start playing, you know, what worked for guys in this downtime. And I think that's going to be the amazing thing that comes out of this is we're going to be able to see, okay, this was an extended shutdown for a lot of guys who got better, you know, who stayed the same, you know, who went backwards and just to track all of it. I'm, I'm intrigued to see that side of it. Well, I think, I think that's really good. And I, I, let me give a, a, if you wouldn't mind, I'll I'll give some other advice. Yep. Um, uh, um, Randy Sullivan and I, um, are, are very close. I talk to him almost every other, other day, maybe daily. Um, and, uh, him and I have been studying for quite some time now. Um, uh, really, um, contributors to injury. I don't like to use the term causes because who knows what causes whatever. I think that's, that's a little too definitive. Well, well if we knew nobody would get hurt. That's right. That's right. So we're looking at contributors to injury, right? And so, um, so we know accidents, the, the contributors to accidents may be uh, an icy road or, uh, you know, um, or um, uh, sight, you have fog or whatever. Those are contributors to accidents, bad rubber on your tires, whatever. So we were looking at contributors to injury. And what we found was uh, we, we were really kind of shocked at what we found a lot of times. We, we, the most common month, in professional baseball for Tommy John injuries or labrum tears for the injury, not the surgery, but the injury is March and April. Yes. Now, we've been told for how long that workload and uh, pitch counts are the, you know, the primary evil that we have to monitor. Um, and what we're finding is, of course, pitch counts and workload is a contributor, but it is not uh, the, uh, as nearly as powerful as what we call ramp up yep. and the, the steepness of the ramp up. And this is what I'm going to tell, this is what I want to press upon. This is where I think the NCAA and the, uh, the high school associations, and this, this is where they, they've got to work with us a little bit more. Um, I, I know that I, I, uh, in one state, I won't say the name of the state because I, I don't want to get the coach in trouble. Uh, but he has, um, he, he's one of the heads of this, uh, of the um, high school association there, and they wouldn't allow any baseball player to start. Uh, you can't touch them. They can't be practiced weeks before the season. And I mean two weeks before the season they play. They had a two-week practice, um, and then they started to play. Yep. They started to actually play in two weeks. And, um, and they did that because they thought, Oh, these coaches are overbearing. They're going to work them too much. They need to work with us a little bit on this. They don't realize, but that sort of thing is going to cause more injuries than maybe just about anything else because the young player um, is not allowed, the soft tissue is not prepared to go in two weeks 
to go from nothing to full-blown um, competitive, right? It just can't happen that way. It's going to take 10, 8, 10, 12 weeks. Eight is the minimum. 12 is what we would like. And um, so the steepness of the ramp-up becomes really important. So now, speaking of when we get the all-clear, I'm hopeful that, uh, one, that players don't just completely shut down so that they're not starting as if they are um, – completely shut down and they're in their off season. Um, but I do hope that they at least give um, pitchers uh, three or four weeks of, of a ramp up before we start playing competitively. And my biggest fear is, okay, we got the all clear, let's go play. And, um, and uh, I know that won't be a day, but I, but I think the more, the more narrow, the more steep they make this ramp up, the more worrisome it is to me. And I feel like that's on the college side where the evolution has has become so much better on the college side is the the winter throwing programs right. have evolved so much. Uh, and, and you saw it early. Guys are coming out of the gate in great shape. Uh, they're able to handle larger volumes, but they've given themselves – a longer period of time to get built up. And, you know, I agree with you. Once a guy is, is built up, they can handle a lot, but it's a matter of getting them to that point where they're actually built up. That's right. That's right. The next thing we, the next thing we've got to do. And I think a lot of strength coaches, there are a lot of really good ones. Uh, Eric Cressy and, uh, and Lee Fiocchi, um, uh, with the angels. These are, these are not only, uh, brilliant men, but good friends of mine. I, I speak with them, quite often. And, and really the next thing we need to do is kind of hyper personalizing the weight room. And I think a lot of times uh, we try to, we try to get our pitchers or baseball players, specifically pitchers, we try to get them stronger. We, we, we say this mass equals gas sort of thing. And so we're trying to, trying to put on weight on these drives and we're trying to get them stronger. And we don't, re- we don't realize that there are some people that uh, don't need to do a bench press. The way their shoulders are made, they already have anterior shoulder problems or that are tight through the pec, and then you're going to go into a weight room and do a bench press that's going to be problematic, while another guy, maybe his teammate, maybe his roommate, that's not going to be a problem at all. So we've got to also hyper-personalize the, um, the strength program, and we need to de- de- uh, hyper-personalize the mobility and flexibility programs. And if we can... St- start to do that we're going to start to see uh really injuries now kind of flatline on that i I really do believe but we have to do all of those things uh to be able to help uh, flatten out the and lengthen out the gradual ramp up make sure the strength program is hyper personalized really using physical therapists to to take a look at structure and and strength balance same thing with mobility and then if we can look at eventually at Mo, uh, uh, mechanical inefficiencies, all those things, when you combine them in, in its whole, that's when you really start to change the dynamic as far as injury is concerned. And you've used so many different tools and training modalities. What, what are you recommending to your guys right now, all the tools that are out there to, to use right now to stay active? Well, um, we uh, there's several things, right? So the latest for us and I'll, I'll tell you a really quick story. There was a Andrew McCarron uh, who has a an, is a, in, involved now in in uh, Win VR virtual reality. Yep, um, it's it's phenomenal product. But um, he was a pitcher in the Cincinnati Red organization. He was an All American out of UT, 
And uh, he was at what we call the classic 4A player, triple-A big leagues jumping back up, up and forth. He couldn't stick and uh, had a lot of anterior shoulder pain and uh, just couldn't quite get through it. And he came to the ranch. He, he was released. He came to the ranch to make another run at it. And uh, this just, once again, it happened by pure accident. I was trying to find throws. We were desperately trying to try and find ways for him to throw without any pain. And he could throw a football without pain. But then when we moved to any sort of ball, that was a pain. And one day I was talking to him. And, and uh, uh, because of my son as a hitter, we had some one-arm bats in there. And, um, and I said, here, try this. And so he picked it up. And uh, he threw it. And he goes, you know what, that – I didn't hurt at all. And I take a phone call. I stepped outside. I took the phone call, probably 20 minutes. I walked back into the barn, and Andrew is running down the lane doing a turn and burn with the club and just throwing it. And I, my, my heart about leaped out of my chest. I'm like, what, what are you doing? He goes, Coach, this feels blankety blank awesome. <laughs> and, and he goes, this doesn't hurt. And then, I, and then when I throw a baseball, it doesn't hurt. And the connection club was made that day. And yep. so um, that's – and it was just by pure accident. I didn't – and almost like the connection ball was by pure accident. Um, uh, we used wrist weights, which is made very uh, famous by uh, Dr. Mark Marshall. Um, and obviously we used the tubing, which is made famous by Alan Jaeger. Um, and uh, so we, we used the shoulder tube, which Trevor Bauer now is made famous – uh, so there's a lot of different mobility, uh, uh, modalities that we use one that's for arm care and arm health, but the throwing the three things that we really use for throwing are, uh, the club, the connection, um, ball and the, and the dura throw sock or the throwing sock. Those are the three tools that we use most often at the ranch. And we find being very, very helpful. And yeah, I watch a lot of games and last summer I'm, I'm watching games and, you always think about guys that recruited, whether they showed up or not, but they're, they're, the twins are on, and they're showing Kyle Gibson going through his warm-up, his pregame warm-up, and he's got the connection ball in his arm. And so, you know, just it's fun to, to watch guys, especially that you recruited or you coached, and just see all the things that, that they're using. So I thought that was neat. They're showing him with his pregame warm-up stuff, and he's got the connection ball, and he's using it. Yeah, yeah. It's The Tampa Bay Rays, are, everybody has a uh, – uh, as a throwing sock in the organization and the, and the Dodgers, they really like the club, which, which is really funny, kind of a funny side note. Um, I'm watching my son play against the twins, uh, in a ball or a, a rookie ball this summer. And I'm down there and I'm watching the bullpen and I'm watching the connection club and I'm watching the, uh, the sock. And, and, uh, so this kid, uh, who's a pitcher in the twins, he walks over to me and I'm, I'm ne- outside the bullpen and uh, he does. He has no has no idea who I am. He walks over and he goes, "Hey, uh, uh, you here watching?" And I said, "Yeah, I here watching my son." He goes, "Man, you ought to have him try these." And he goes and he tries to describe to me the connection. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I told that story to Wes, and he just thought that was hilarious. It's just like uh, uh, you're trying to you're you're trying to tell clockmaker uh, how to make how to make a clock, which is it was it was so it was so genuine, it was so wonderful, and I never told him. I just I just listened to him and I just asked him a couple questions, but I didn't have the heart to tell him. You know, I I you know I 
I'm the one that started that. And, and of course I didn't because he was, he would have been embarrassed, but it, it was a funny story. It's a funny story. Ron, for guys that are built up still guys that have been able to stay after it, what are you recommending to your guys that are, are full go right now, uh, to stay sharp? Um, I would say as close as, uh, as, uh, uh, Try to get into your actual playing. If you're fully warmed up, if you're if you're full go, I would start. I would also. I would really highly encourage you to get into as close to your game cycle as you possibly can. So if you're a starter, um, what do you do? Uh, and then the day that you were scheduled scheduled to throw, you throw your side or you throw your your uh, most intense day. And so cycles are big because they help us recover and, and they help us mon- uh, monitor and modulate the stress that we're doing. So I would really highly recommend them to create their cycle that is close to as game-like as possible. Yep. You know, we got into pitch grips the other night, uh, and, and we did get it on to the change-up, and I think that's a, a huge question for guys – Can you give some tips, uh, maybe some drills or grips or anything you want to get into to help change ups? Oh, um, yeah. And, um, uh, first of all, it's, uh, I think if you ask my son, uh, who is a catcher and a hitter, he would say that the, he hates the change up more than any other. Right. So that tells me how the reason I say that is it tells you how successful, how good it is. Right. It's, it's one of those things that we need to use more. Um, well, and Dave and, Serrano said it too. I think for high school guys, because you are doing hitters favors, because a lot of changeups for your upper level high school pitchers, the changeup's going to be in the hitter's bat speed. Yeah. But once you get to college on the pro side, that's really the only pitch that can counteract uh, elite bat speed is the changeup. And so it is a pitch as they go up levels, they're going to need at some point. Yeah, so so you, uh, I'll, let me back up for a second because what you just said is is really I don't want anybody to miss it. The challenge, the real irony, the catch twenty two is for you to develop a changeup. You have to really work on it quite a bit. Yes. And when you're younger, you're not going to be able to use that in a game. No, you're not. So it's hard to work on something very hard that you're not going to use in a game, right? Yes. And so they just tend to go away with it and they get away from it. And I can't tell you, Ryan, I know it's not going to surprise you, but I get so many college guys that are now 19, 20, 21, and they're just starting their progression on a changeup. Yes. Because because they were so dominant with their other stuff and they never learned it. And then so so the first thing is to um, uh, Burt Blylevin, and I saw an interview with Burt Blylevin a couple years ago, and I don't know if you realize it, but he threw every pitch he threw with the exact same grip, curveball, fastball. And change up. He threw all that was different was his hand position, and uh, his curveball was probably one of the best in major league history. And so my comment is, okay, the grip is a really it's it's good to experiment with grips. It really is to find something that works. That and the, the reason the experimenting with the grip is a really good idea is because it gives you a there, there's going to be some feels that feel solid that you're going to be able to. You may be able to take the speed off of it. I've gotten guys that, that can take the speed off a changeup, but they really can't command it. And you're going to have to command it. So the feel is really good and, and to experiment with that. Um, now, uh, once again, I did kind of a 
uh, a makeshift study of uh, probably of the best 15 changeups, and this has probably been two or three years ago, in the major leagues. And there were uh, out of the top 15, there were probably 10 or 11 different grips on it. So it's, it's important that you experiment and to find out what your grip is. Now, what, so the next question is, okay, how will I know if that grip is a good idea or not? One of the best things you can ever do is um, play a – when I'm not talking about long toss, I'm not talking about Alan Jaeger's long toss yes. per se where you really go out. I'm talking about 80, 90, 100 yep. feet – and you alter your fastball and your changeup. Yep, you just blend those two, right? And and so that's where you start to experiment with the grips a little bit because. And the reason why you want to go out that far is because you're going to have to have the hand speed. And everybody that's listening to me will shake their head. One of the keys to a good changeup is the hitter perceives it as it has the same hand speed that a fastball. That's that's the thing. If you have to slow it up, the hitter will pick up those cues, uh, especially the higher-level hitters, and they were not going to fool anybody. But when you have to throw it 90 feet or so, you have to have enough hand speed to get it there. So you can't be hitting the brakes too early. And so the, at, at about 90 feet, um, I would start to blend fastball changeup, fastball changeup, and I would start to experiment with different grips and and see what I can do to take speed off and yet have a feeling that I could command it from 90 feet. And uh, then I would work in from 90 feet all the way to 60 feet, six inches. And then actually, when that is done, I would work all the way back again to about 90 feet. Um, and I we just call it our changeup pin. And uh, so it's just dedicated to fastball changeup alternating. I liked... And, um... I think one of the things that helps, because I, I de- dealt with the same thing with guys that had never thrown one, and then they get to college and they have to start throwing one, is trying to leave their thumb and their middle finger in the same spot as their primary fastball, and then you, then adjust the other fingers because proprioceptively they have a feel that, okay, it's fastball, and you hear it all the time, it's fastball, 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 and then trust your grip. I found that was a way to actually help them keep their fastball arm speed because their thumb and their middle finger were in the same spot and then try to adjust the other fingers. Then, you know, DJ said it the other night, it's an evolution of that pitch. And the other, the other good one was Nate Yetsky uh, spoke at the, I think the Indy convention and he talked about a 65 foot pen uh, where you back the catcher up to the 65 feet to really let the guy let it rip on his changeup because now they're trying to throw it through the plate rather than just try to get it there where they're slowing their arm speed down. Really good, really good recommendations. Yep. Uh, fantastic. Yep. Fantastic. I don't have anything to add to those. <laughs> yeah, that's the baseball community. I was so fortunate with my dad doing it forever and, and how many baseball guys you meet, and that's what you really love about the the whole community is – everybody's willing to help and it is a small really tight circle so if you know somebody you know somebody so yeah it is it's it's a very tight fraternity and and a vast majority of them are not only they're just good guys right yes like mentioned you know they're just they're there to help and and you know it's it's been a real blessing to to be able to deal with with guys like that and it's it's fun it's a lot of fun 
baseball has a way of, you know, if you're not a good person, you may be in it for a little bit, but you're not going to be in it too much longer. Um, you know, cause that guys like that, that, that aren't in it for the right reasons or, you know, aren't, aren't good guys. A game of baseball ends up getting rid of those guys. They do. It, 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 it weeds itself out pretty quickly. Yes, it does. Players and, and coaches. Yep. Yep. It does. And, you know, and there's a there's a couple guys that may sneak through the cracks every now and then. But I don't know if you've heard the story about when the Cubs, the Cubs won um, the the World Series, and um, Ross, um, the catcher, the um, manager uh, now. Yeah, did you hear about the story about the money with the Cubs? No. It's a it's a great story. Real real briefly, uh, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll do the quick, the short version. But um, he's in the meeting, and they're talking about uh, the money. You know, all the money, uh, uh, all the bonuses. And he stood up and he goes, "You know, it's really great. We're going to get this money, but really, for us, this money maybe uh, allows us to get our wife a new car or a new piece of jewelry or whatever. But I'd like to give my money." to the people in the uh, Cub organization, the people that are throwing up peanuts at, at, at Wrigley, uh, the office managers, all this. I'd like to give them my bonus money. And I wonder how many of you guys like to do that. And so he actually did have the whole organization. They, they The players gave all their bonus money for the World Series to the people that uh, work in the Cub organization. And so I think everybody got a check for like, $21,000 or something like that. So um, it was an incredible story. It's amazing how much those individual shares are actually worth. You know, when, when they split up the ba- the TV money, uh, those shares end up being a, a lot of, it's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, how, how good is that? It's, his instinct was, like, I'm taken care of. I'm good. I'm whole. My family's whole. But there's some people out there that, that are just trying to grind through and they're really good. And and I could really do some good. And then, but it took his leadership. And it does not surprise me when he became a manager. I'm like, wherever he's going to go, he's going to get buy-in. And it just goes back to your baseball analogy that really, there's some really, really good people out there. And baseball is one of those communities um, that is, it's really, really good. There's some just really unbelievable people. Yep, Ron, what? Um, where can I know your everybody knows where to find you, but for anybody that maybe doesn't, because we do have some new coaches that listen in, for somebody that doesn't know where to find you, where can they find you? Uh, it's uh, the www.texasbaseballranch.com, and there there is a coaching portal there. Perfect. Um, and, and so they can they can reach out for that uh, and and ask for specific. We ask circle coaches program if, if, if they would like uh, and also i think we 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 do this almost three or four times a year we do it every year after the abca convention we have kind of a um uh a three-month kind of trial they can come in and kind of see what we're doing and if it's a fit for them but it's, it's really not very expensive i know that a lot of coaches uh do this not for the money but they do it for the love of the game and and uh so we try to really make that uh inexpensive for them but basically what I will say to everybody listening, if there's any way that we can help you, help you forget about 
whether you're a member or not, we're, we're here to help guys. And I can't tell you how many times I, I take a phone call about, uh, from a coach somewhere and they have specifically issue about medial elbow pain or anterior shoulder pain, uh, or a guy that, that, uh, is having some sort of specific problem. Just like back in the day, you talked to me off, off, um, off mic about what you did with Derek Johnson and, and how valuable he was as, as you were coaching. So we do the same thing, um, with people. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we really, we really love our coaches. They, they're, they're amazing. And, uh, any way we can help them, um, you know, just, just get a hold of us. And, and personally, I, I do want to thank you for how much you've helped the game of baseball. You know, the game of baseball is in a great place because of guys like you. So I do want to personally thank you for how much you've actually helped coaching and, and baseball itself. Well, thank you. And one final thing, uh, Ryan, is that uh, 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 this is one of the questions that I get a lot. Um, can I just come visit the ranch uh, and and see what you guys do? And the answer is absolutely and there's never a charge ever if you want to come watch an elite pitchers boot camp or you want to come watch us do the summer program um there is never a charge if you would just call the office let us know you're coming um and that way we can kind of uh set something up for you give you some uh information and and kind of guide you to where we think it's going to be the most helpful for you to look at but the we probably have 30 to 40 coaches every year uh, just come out and uh, spend a couple days, and and the only thing you can't do is you can't videotape, but you can take a lot of notes and and ask questions, and and so w- the door is always open um, for any coach, high school, college, professional, w- w- you know, any uh, uh, little league coach, they can come out and uh, and see what we're doing at the ranch. And thanks again for everything that you do for baseball. It's our pleasure, and it was really wonderful talking to you. Yep. All right, thank you. Thanks again for investing the time to listen in. Quick reminder that we have a live webcast going on on Tuesday nights now. Jim Richardson is your host, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, He's done a tremendous job of getting coaches from all levels to come on and discuss different topics. For anybody that wants to reach out to me, you can reach out to me on email, rbrownlee at abca.org. Twitter, Coach B underscore ABCA, or on Instagram at Ryan Brownlee 17. Thanks again for listening in, and this is Ryan Brownlee signing off from my basement in Macomb, Illinois. And remember to leave it better for those behind you. Thanks.